It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of BGN Radio is brought to you by Clip It, the hottest app that is out there. Watch TV, make clips, and share. For more information, check them out at clipit.tv or check them on Twitter at clipit.tv. You're listening to BGN Radio. You know, it's one of those things, you know, I told you guys you know, at the end of the year, this is where I wanted to be. I wanted to be back here. Um, you know, I knew that. And so to finally get it done and to know that I'm going to be back here and that I don't have to worry about anything else, you know, it was a huge relief to get that phone call this week. It is episode number 155, and we have a jam-packed show here for you guys. Of course, Mr. Ben Natan joining us one more time. Ben, what's going on this afternoon? How are you, pal? I, I am doing well. This is pre-nap Ben, so uh-huh. just a very different version of, of me as a person. Do you have the uh, gallon jug of water next to you, too? Is that what, I, that's what's happening today? I, I do have a big thing of, of liquid next to me that I've been drinking. <laughs> I was in okay. I was in South America last week or Central America last week, and I'm sick, so I'm okay. dealing with currently dealing little little bit of va- vacation hangover. So that's uh, y- yes. <laughs> part of the reason why we took a break, and really there was just there wasn't a lot going on, uh, and there was a lot going on on the behind the scenes, which is why I'm here to tell you once again that there is a draft party coming. Nick's roast beef, April 28th. It's the first round. It's the biggest night of the NFL draft. And we're going to be obviously talking a lot about that with our good friend, Mike Kay, who's going to be joining us in just a little bit. Also, we sit down for a nice chunk of time with uh, Teron Davenport from the Eagles Wire uh, and also FB Game Plan as we go through his mock draft and we'll have our own mock draft thoughts. We're going to do all seven rounds, so we're going to go pretty in-depth here. But once again, we are, you know, it's going to be a huge, huge party. We're giving away Eagles tickets there's going to be great prices on beer and food. Sean Brace, the Philly influencer people, are going to be down there as well. We're going to make this a huge party. There are, by the time, hopefully, that this posts, we will also have an update on the Draft Party Day t-shirts, which 
look phenomenal. So that is all gearing up. That's from our friends over at atlsapparel.com. Go check them out, especially if you are a weightlifter like Ben. They, they've now started to sponsor some some weightlifting people and some powerlifters, and they really make a lot of great stuff over there just for you and I and the rest of the folks here. But uh, also, wherever you're listening out there, whether it's on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere really if you're if you have the tin can up to the window with with the string and you're you know you're being very stockish i appreciate that too but uh rate subscribe review helps grow the podcast and speaking of that ben i mean i think we just got to say holy cow and thank you so much our last episode episode number 154 ranked second all time that's in the two years of this podcast being around second all time listened to and downloaded so thank you so much, guys. It was an, it's an absolute pleasure to kind of do this stuff for you uh, week in and week out. Whenever the Eagles news is coming up and about, we really appreciate all the support. It's been very, very crazy. And we'll have some radio news, hopefully, uh, by the end of the month that will be all uh, wrapped up and ready to go. And we'll make a big, big, nice announcement on that. But but again, thank you so much for, for listening to us each and every week. So, uh, Ben, let's, let's try and make this even better with 155. Let's start out with kind of the stuff that we've been uh, missing out on. First of all, the late, the, the oldest news that we have here is Nolan Carroll signed to the one-year deal. Uh, most of these guys actually are all on one-year deals. Chris Givens here for a uh, one-year deal. And then uh, earlier this week, Ruben Randall uh, signed on a one-year deal. Again, I think all of these were moves that needed to be made. They were all ended up being good deals. And some way or another, somebody was upset with, one one of these deals just to be upset about him. But for the most part, I think this is, again, things that you have to do to create the optionality in the draft at such an important pick with such an important, you know, time to get this an impact player there. And you just want it all to be available to you. Uh, but what did you think of the deals overall here? I mean, I think it's fine because I think what they're doing is they're really just supplementing the needs on the team, uh, except for running back, which is interesting. And I'm not, I'm, I'm going to push an agenda a little bit with that later, <laughs> but it's fine. Uh, but yeah, they're really, you know, the team obviously had a hold at number two cornerback with Carol's free agent status still in flux. And then they addressed that with bringing him back for a year. So at the, you know, at the very least they would have a situation where they don't need to force a cornerback pick at eight um, if they don't like the guys there. But at the same time, it also creates a situation where you could bring in another cornerback at eight if they really like, you know, Vernon Hargraves or whoever, and you can have him, you know, brought along a lot easier with Carroll still in the mix. Um, as for Chris Givens and Ruben Randall, I mean, neither of them are, you know, great players. Neither of them are going to transform the passing game in, in any way, in my opinion. Um, I think that people have been kind of overrating Ruben Randall just because he played in a really pass-heavy offense, and you know, he played next to arguably the best receiver in the league. So, you know, it was kind of easier for him to get production going. But I, I don't think – I think what, what the team is really doing is they're creating competition at that number three wide receiver spot because I think Aguilar, Matthews, I think they're going to end up being not locked in uh, at receiver one and two. So that number three spot, that's going to be open. So you're going to have Josh Huff. You're going to have Chris Givens. You're going to have Ruben Randall. All three of them are going to compete for it. Let the best man win. And what that leaves the team with, I think – is uh, just a really young receiving core, some upside, you know, some levels of upside at each at each receiver spot, which is always nice. And I think that really does kind of keep them out of taking a receiver at eight. I wouldn't be mad, nor would I be really shocked if it happened. But 
with the guys I have there, a lot of young guys and guy and guys like Aguilar, guys like Matthews who are established at one and two, they're probably not going to go for that number one wide receiver at eight. And they're, and they're probably not. Uh, and I am not them. So that's why I'm happy to say I would still take Treadwell at eight because that would make this move. You know, I, then, then you could have, you could really sell me on this wide receiving core going from, yeah, this looks okay. And yeah, there's potential to be there. Uh, even if they don't get, and look, there's wide receivers later, later too, that I really like. So I think there's a lot of different, uh, a lot of different ways you can approach wide receiver in this class. I know that people are still kind of down on the class overall. I know that Josh Norris is probably probably the only one that's singing its praises as far as what what it can do. And there are a lot of different playmakers here too. And I I, I kind of feel I think Ben and I kind of feel the same way about that as well. I think you know the the Coleman's and everything else that's kind of in that first second round is there. But there's again we'll we'll get into it in this episode. I still think there's a lot of great potential of third fourth fifth sixth even some seventh round guys that you could take flyers on and and see what they do there's a lot of guys with speed there's a lot of athletic which is kind of like a you know a captain obvious statement of course wide receivers are going to be athletic along with quarterbacks they they have to be but i think there's a lot of different options they could go with wide receiver but again i wouldn't be upset if treadwell is the pick and eight and we'll get into that uh, much later as well. The, uh, the other thing that I've, I've noticed too is just there's been and look, I just just as far as Randall goes, I think there is some overrating going on right now with some of the people in the Eagles fan base. The, you know, some people think it can compete for this. The, you know, if Ruben Randall's going to end up being competing for wide receiver two, that's a problem. Uh, and I think that there is, is some of that there. Yeah, he's 24. Yeah, there's still some upside there, but you know, half, again, half a million dollars guaranteed. What is that really telling you? It's a one-year deal that he signed. (laughs) The numbers say $3 million, which makes his agent happy, but nothing really there, too. Chris Givens, who I also want to ask Teron Davenport about because he was covering him uh, down there in Baltimore. Obviously, we've seen him in St. Louis. Again, there is some upside there. There's there's burners there. When he can catch the ball, it's great. How often does he catch it? Not too often. (laughs) You know, there was a rapport with him with Bradford. And I know when people, I, I even said that when it happened and people freaked out about that because like, how can you say that? It's less than, I think there was less than 700 yards basically when him and Amendola uh, were when Amendola was out and they were kind of going back and forth. But there was that form of chemistry there. I think Bradford felt okay throwing him the ball downfield and it connected. And listen, that, that vine that's been looping around forever of him beating Earl Thomas and, and, uh, and you know, uh, Stanford voice uh, over there, Richard Sherman, you know, that's that was the rookie year, whatever. So there's there's some playmaking ability, I think, with with Givens. I don't think it's so much there with Randall. I think he could be that good safety valve that's there. Nolan Carroll, obviously, it's a smart move because, uh, you know, it, it, I, I don't think that last year was a fluke at all. I think that's what you need there. They needed they need they still need the depth there uh, a little bit, even though I don't think it's an automatic that you have to draft a cornerback early or late or whatever. Again, a lot of these things, just like Ben was saying, just like I was saying, really just keeps the optionality open, not just in the first round, but in every round, you know, the ability to stop there and and hopefully take the best player, even though I think this draft is going to be paint by numbers, uh, one, two, three, which is also fine, too. I think they're going to address uh, a lot of those things later. I want to ask you, Ben, because a lot of Eagles fans seem to be upset with yesterday there was the breakfast at the owners meetings down in Boca Raton, Florida. Uh, and it's the first time that originally Chip Kelly wasn't going to go there, and I know I said the, the name because he's not an eagle and move on or whatever, 
But I think it's important to kind of bring up, at least for that 45-minute conversation that they had there. I think it kind of, again, just showed you, you know, this front office wasn't great. And, and the relationship and the the ability to, it, what, from what I gather, and Chip Kelly said, and, and granted, you can all take this with the world of salt, I think they're all full of shit, really. I think every, I think Jeff and, and Howie and Chip are all full of shit, of, and we'll never have a, a straight answer here. But the the, the idea that... Chip Kelly would look at Ed, Ed uh, Manowitz and go, uh, I want this guy to figure it out. And then how he would go and try and figure it out seems like an asinine process to me. And like the moment that started happening is when I think Jeffrey Lurie's wheels started turning and then been like, OK, I'm just going to I'm going to end up firing you like the all of last year just seems completely crazy. Uh, and for one, I thought it was worth talking about. A lot of Eagles fans were, were very upset that a lot of the beat reporters were covering this, but I think there were questions that need to be answered there even if they were bold-faced lies but does that concern you at all like that was that was basically their process and there was very much I mean I don't know how we, we kind of had that inkling moving forward anyway or knew, knew that was kind of happening but concerning you at all as far as the draft is concerned like when they're because to me it looks like Jeffrey has a lot more say than I think people are little leading on here it seems like how he doesn't have final say it's more a lot of Jeff's calls going on here. Just your thoughts on that overall. Was it worth covering? And uh, do you see that as a problem that's kind of bleeding into this year? I think as a, as a reporter, you got to ask these questions. If, if Chip Kelly's there, it only makes sense to, to talk to him. It's a, it's an Eagles-relevant story to, to really get more insight in terms of what happened with the whole breakdown of the team last year. I'm not going to fault any of the reporters for asking the questions, but like you said, you, you need to take everything with a grain of salt. Uh, this... This was a bad breakup. It was a bad relationship. It was a bad breakup. And now now they're, the exes are talking shit about each other, just something you kind of expect from these kind of situations. And, and yes, the children want to know what happened with mommy and daddy. But the fact of the matter is it doesn't matter. Like Chip is in San Francisco. What Chip does doesn't affect the team anymore. It sucks everything went down the way it does. But people can't get caught up in whatever lies Howie and Chip say about each other. Yeah, no, because I, I agree honestly, I I think they're both really petty people, <laughs> yeah. like really, really yeah. petty people and mostly full of shit. So j- just don't worry about it. Move on with your life. So but I, I, I can't get mad at people for asking questions. I can't get mad at, you know, Jeff and Elliot and whoever to, to ask questions about this relationship because it's their job. And yeah. it, these are questions that need to be asked. But I just wouldn't be put too much stock in the answers. Yeah, I think it. <laughs> You know, it's just like, I don't know, people get to, I think Eagles fans get really weird about some of that stuff of just like, I even brought up the example yesterday of like, well, you, would you not want them to talk about Jeremy Macklin and the and the tampering, you know, like, well, it doesn't matter anyway, I just want to know about the Eagles. So like, I don't know, I, I, I enjoy the NFL as a whole. And I think that those type of storylines are always interesting, especially when you didn't hear the other side of it. It was the first time that the Philly media had been able to really, you know, talk to them, you know, even if it is bullshit. I think it's still worth noting, and this is because I I do think there is still an issue there, and maybe it's just my perception of it, Ben. That's what I'm saying. Like I I from just their personnel approach to what they're doing, I I just feel like there is. Look, I, I not I'm not in disagreement with the moves. I just think it's it's not that much different from what they were doing last year. And I think Dave Mangles also touched on this in his free agency article, how basically everybody lost. For the most part, I agree. 
but you know they're still kind of spending money, even if it is homegrown talent. They are still listening to their head coach, and it's obvious that they're listening to Schwartz too. So there's there's a there's a weird nucleus of what's going on and who's making the decisions there. That's what kind of concerns me. Yeah, the relationship obviously looks and sounds better, and there's not going to be any walls closed off, at least not this year. Do you think there is reason to be concerned? I mean, isn't it the same thing as last year? Isn't basically this is the same process with another guy who is clearly better at making deals and doing contracts, but uh, doesn't that, isn't it basically the same thing and they're just repeating last year with different people? Yeah, I think so. And yeah, you're consolidating power into one spot with with Howie being the GM and Peterson being the coach, which should make people a little bit more comfortable because I I know a lot of people were questioning when it happened and, you know, over the course of the season, can Chip be the GM and the coach at the same time? So you're you're spreading out the power a little or you're spreading out responsibilities a lot more so no one person is is responsible for both being the coach and the gm uh but you have to kind of wonder about howie because howie's history in philadelphia has been strange to say the least and i get people being worried about him but if you're putting him in a position where he has full control of personnel and everything like that and peterson doesn't really want to meddle in that you're going to have a, uh, the situation should be pretty comfortable. The The issue that ended up happening with Chip and with, with Roseman is that you had two strong, hard-headed personalities fighting over the team, basically, and it just ended in the guy who had more pull in the organization getting the other guy fired. I think. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's still a weird story, and I, I just think that there's, I still want the answer to January. Because the rest of the crap doesn't matter. Once he was pow- isn't in power, doesn't matter. I, I really want to know what happened when you know Gamble getting fired. They had a meeting, blah. You know, I because it's again, I don't know. I it just because just out of curiosity, I want to know if it was Jeff's idea or not, or if Chip really did railroad this this thing happening. Either way, we're not going to dwell on it anymore. I just think it was. I think it was partially relevant this week, and I don't fault anybody for asking questions or talking about it. Um, it is a little ex-girlfriendish, but I, I, I think those questions as far as structure and everything else are very important. Whatever he's doing in San Francisco, we're always going to keep one eye open over there, but it, it, you're right, Ben. And in the end, it really doesn't matter here. Uh, what does matter is that uh, for the first time actually in a long time, we haven't spoken to him since he's been enjoying the, the sunny, uh, you know, the sunny rays back in Florida after being in Arizona for so long. Uh, I, I want to welcome back to the program. Uh, we're rolling out the red carpet. Ah, yes, there it is. The, the horns are alive. Mr. Mike K uh, from FCN. That kind of sounds weird, former BGNer, and, of course, the managing editor over here at BleedingGreenNation.com. Mike, what's going on, buddy? How are you? Hey, how you doing? Uh, fantastic, as always. Uh, so uh, we wanted to check in because it was, there was actually a lot of demand for your services from the public. So they, they're missing your thoughts. Let's start with just the most recent moves here. Ruben Randall. Uh, I think for the money, the guaranteed money, half a million dollars here is is, is pretty simple here to understand. Uh, it kind of helps with not just having to rely on Givens as a as a possible third wide receiver. He's 24 years old. We've seen him a lot in the NFC East. What are your thoughts on the signing overall? I mean, I think it's a great signing. I mean, to think that you could sign a guy who started a bunch of games for your rival and scored a bunch of touchdowns, even, uh, you know, for 
a little over a million dollars in in base salary. That seems kind of too good to be true. I mean, then again, you could say the same thing about Steve Smith several years ago, which has me kind of, I, I really hate taking away from NFC East uh, division teams because I feel like when you sign guys within your division and they've been on the market for a while, it's typically because the other team, the, te- the former team knows something, you know what I mean? Uh, it kind of worked out that way with, with Donovan when, when yeah. Andy traded Donovan. So, I mean, I, I think Randall's a high upside guy, um, low risk. Uh, he, the way I looked at it when I, when I heard about it is it's us and Aguilar insurance. I don't know if he's necessarily Chris Gibbons insurance, but you know, this is a guy who's, who's a, a veteran starter who can play, you know, he can play. There's no, there's nothing. I mean, he's inconsistent, but you know, he can play. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's kind of how I look at it too. And just, you know, people, I think people get confused because the depth on this thing last year wasn't great. <laughs> you still had, you still had a Jerry Tutu. You had guys like, I mean, Jesus, Miles Austin, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't, the depth wasn't great to begin with. Even if it's just that he works out to be a wide receiver three, why he works out to be a wide receiver two. Great. But then it also means probably have some troubles with the wide receiving core. Overall, I know you've been a big fan of the Howie signings uh, and the off season. So thus far has been uh, uh, great, but I mean, is there, is there any kind of, don't you think it's kind of odd though, that it's, it's almost, it's kind of the same MO as, as last year, just basically genesis some of the bad contracts, which I think was good. I don't think there's anything wrong with the, the moves thus far. I think they've been great so far. Uh, I think it's kind of odd that it's almost the kind of the same thing. And basically they're just signing, you know, the, the narrative being they're signing the homegrown talent. And we're not exactly sure if that homegrown talent is worth that money yet, I, I guess. I'm, I'm just saying. So there, I think there's a lot of positivity going on, and rightfully so. Do you see any concern on the back end, though, when this thing, you know, finally gets going towards the season? Well, I mean, I feel like the only – you're right. The only difference to me is they're, they're signing homegrown talent, and that's always a good PR move for a fan base because typically signing guys that you know is more appealing than signing guys you don't know with the, the level of mystery there. Um, you know, I think Chip signed one player to an extension last year, and that was Kendrick. Uh, and I might be mistaken on that no, one. I but think that's right. Re-signing, yeah, re-signing Lane Johnson, I think, was a big deal um, because it gives you, you know, we keep bringing up the word insurance, but, you know, if Jason Peters goes down 16 times in 16 games, like most people expect him to, you know, you have a guy who can play left tackle. It also gives you the security to potentially draft a right tackle or a future left tackle in the, you know, second, third, fourth rounds. You don't have to jump at Ronnie Stanley. You don't have to jump at, um, you know, Spriggs. You don't have to do any of that stuff. I also think, uh, I, I like the Brooks signing. I think the Brooks signing is a very good one. They clearly wanted him. He was clearly a target for them. You know, you, you read that uh, the other offensive lineman reached out. Um, he's a huge body guy. Um, you know, I could see him being, excuse me, Peterson's uh, Sean Andrews without the craziness. Yeah, um, yeah. there you go. Yeah, that's so, good way. yeah, so, like, that's the way I look at it. I love the McLeod signing. That kid had so much range. It's ridiculous. I mean, he's a corner playing safety, which I think they've, this is where the league's going anyway. You want two former corners playing safety. The the old school style safety in the box is, is falling out. Like I cover a guy who's a traditional in the box safety in uh, Jonathan Cyprian, or he's become one because he's so limited in coverage. Um, 
what, what the difference is, I think cornerbacks have better instincts, to be honest with you, uh, at least present-day corners. So you're putting guys that have coverage ability and also the ability to see the field at safety, and they can make plays on the ball. Uh, the in-the-box safeties are just kind of – I mean, it's great against the run, but when teams are passing 40 times – I mean, Blake Bortles passed 40 times in the game last year. When you're playing teams that, that are trying to make comebacks, and if you give up any inch, you're screwed. You need those guys that can make plays on the ball. I like the resigning of Nolan Carroll. Um, gives them leverage in case they don't want to draft uh, Vernon Hargraves if he's there at eight, which – you know, I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> well, actually, well, let's talk about that right now because, you know, you had mentioned before, like, the Brooks signing. I, I think everything that they've done thus far has made them very, n- not insurance, but it gives them uh, the, the entire option of the board. So if it is Stanley that is the guy that's there and, and for some reason the guys that they are targeted are off, they can do that. They, if the QB drops, I think they can do that. If, you know, Zeke is there, maybe that's a consideration. If Bosa drops, that's, that, that's there. You know, I think they've covered enough uh, for the most part other than running back in this free agency period here. Uh, and, you know, we were talking just before. I'm going to assume that you're going to say VH3 if those guys are in order there and you have the pecking order between him, Zeke, and maybe even let's say golf is is there. Is VH3 the real deal? Because I know you were down at Pro Day. You were really impressed down there. Is Is the athletic ability worth the pick at eight? Yeah, um, I've had a tweet that's uh, kind of been going pretty crazy, at least crazy for my standards. Um, uh, he only did positional drills down at UF, but if you watch his cornerback his drills, the way he can turn his hips and his balance, uh, he doesn't miss a beat. He re- legitimately is fast when he's turning his hips. I don't think I've ever seen a, uh, a guy turn his hips that way. Watching a combine at home, going to pro days, sitting in practice, uh, covering team. I, I just, he, he's, He's a really good talent. The only issue with him on film is that he seems to bite at at double moves quite often, and that's that hurts him in long range plays. But I think you can coach that out of him. Um, he's a young kid. He was born in '95, which makes you and I feel really old. Yep. I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, you know, we interviewed him. He seems like a great kid. He was rocking Tampa um, Tampa graffiti uh, Under Armour cleats, which is pretty cool. And wearing very skimpy shorts, which, I mean, you know, skimpier than usual. But anyway, no, I, I thought he he spoke well. He seems like a good kid. Um, I've talked to a couple of people that have been around him at UF, and, and they sing his praises. I think he would fit. He reminds me a lot of Leo Shepard. So, I mean, that's always a positive, at least when you talk about his Eagles career. Um, I think he's a guy that can make plays on the ball. Uh, just because Nolan Carroll's there doesn't mean you should sacrifice a starter. Just because Eric Rose there doesn't mean you should sacrifice a blue chip player, which I think Vernon Hargraves is. Size is a bit of an issue, but I mean, if you look at the guys that they they have there, he's kind of par for the course. So, uh, yeah, I would take Vernon Hargraves top ten. Yeah, he, I, he should I, be a top ten pick. Yeah, without a doubt, and I think that the, I've I've had that same problem of they're pretty much at a tie for me. Uh, with between him and Zeke, and I was just been I've been p- pounding Zeke because I, I just think they need they need a playmaker on the offset offensive side of the ball, and I'm not saying that's an excuse to to ignore the fact of his ability there, especially with the two safeties here. You know, we were talking about McLeod and everybody in his range. I think that's very like we you saw Thurman and Jenkins play, and we thought that that was probably one of the best safety duels in the NFL. Now you kind of put that together. I think that it's that it's an even better safety duo. Um, so I wouldn't mind Hargraves getting you know his feet wet there. 
even if Nolan Carroll has to start the first six weeks or whatever, just like he did with Roe to get his feet wet, get him comfortable, coach that biting out of him. Because there are a lot of, I mean, you know, we've talked about it a lot. That bowl game was awful. <laughs> you know, and a lot of people remember that. So I think a lot of people get scared off by that. And I, there, there is that issue there. But again, the fluidity of, of how he can recover his speed, everything else is definitely worth the pick at eight. So I'm just that's that, I, I'm always back and forth with that. I'm happy with with either guy here. Let me let me let me make my case to you. Here's here's another reason why I would take Hargraves over uh, Elliott. The class. I think this running class, the running back class, is terrific. I think there's a lot of depth here. Um, my personal favorite is Kenneth Dixon from uh, Louisiana Tech. The kid's a triple threat. He can he can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can block. He I mean he obviously is a good runner. I, I just think. You know, if you had to go Hargraves and then you've got um, an early pick in the second round, you draft uh, Dixon, you're, you're sitting pretty. Um, I think he's a better player than, than Ryan Matthews was coming out of college. And he's going to be in the second round because his class is so heavy at well, running back. Well, unfortunately, that, <laughs> that uh, you know, the most important pick, the second round pick is starting at quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. But, Mike, we uh, appreciate the time regardless, my friend. And, uh We'll be catching up with you oh, soon. Oh, right. Towards draft uh, time. I totally, I totally <laughs> forgot about the second round pick. There it is. I'm, I've been out of it for two holes. Like <laughs> uh, well, if you trade those two third round picks. There you go. Now, that, and that's, uh, that's, uh, that's how you take care of it. My man, uh, it, we enjoy the Jaguars coverage. We miss you, and we will talk to you soon. See you soon. So, see, uh, again, a good, uh, good to talk to our old friend, Mike K. Kind of has, you know, very, very much of the Hargraves nature, which. Again, look, he was down there at the pro day. I would be, I would be blown away if I saw him doing those drills down there too. But, um, you know, I think it's still a tie for me, Ben. I, I really don't care either way if it's Zeke or if it's VH3. Uh, there, I know we uh, we're, we're going to get into that. In fact, let's get into it right now because also joining us right now, and we're very thankful for his time uh, from the EaglesWire.com, also from FB Game Plan. We got to get Emery Hunt on here too, Ben. I mean, like we're just there's these great minds of football that we just love talking to each and every week. We welcome to the program one more time, Mr. Teron Davenport. Teron, how are you this afternoon, bud? Thank you. Hey, what's going on? It's a beautiful day and a great day to talk draft, man. I'm glad you guys got me on here. Of course, we want uh, we want you on here as much as possible, so we're, we'll kind of try and keep that continuing here. But uh, what we wanted to do is, since it feels like a very big mock draft type of month and we're, we're getting into that the free agency period starting to slow down a little bit we obviously want to go out with your your seven round mock draft ben and i are going to do that after as well but i wanted to get your thoughts just real quickly on you know reuben randall which we were talking about earlier and maybe even we didn't touch on it last week so uh, between you know randall and uh, nolan carroll getting re-signed what does that mean to you as even chris givens which we haven't mentioned either uh, what does that mean to you as far as what the Eagles are going to do in the draft? Well, you know, let me start with Chris Givens, and this is a guy I have a little bit of background with from last year when he was with the Ravens. I talked to him a lot, uh, especially when he first got there. And we just talked about just getting acclimated into the system. And believe it or not, before Flacco got injured, they were really working to, to have him be their number one receiver. Now, by default, Kamar Aiken stepped up and you know, he's a guy that they really went to. But I think this Chris Givens signing is a really, really good one. And I think it's an under-the-radar one that will have some pretty good uh, results for them. He's a, a really good deep deep receiver. You know, he could get vertical outside the numbers. So I think that's a really good signing. And then you take and, and you look at Ruben Randall. Now, this is another guy that, that 
has experience in the West Coast offense. You know, that's what the, the Giants ran with, with McAdoo last year. And his best season only came two years ago. He was just on the cusp of a thousand yards. So I think Ruben Randall on the outside, he's an X receiver, meaning he'll line up on the line, on the ball, you know, um, and that will allow uh, uh, a guy like Nelson Aguilar to work the intermediate route to line up off the ball and be motion and things like that. I think he and Jordan Matthews will compete for time at the X. Randall is a good receiver. I think it's a, a low cost signing that could end up um, really benefiting them. And you look at Nolan Carroll, I love his aggressive and press man. Uh, skills, so he really is going to fit in with that Jim Schwartz scheme. And I think at that low cost signing, I think it's it's a good move for them. And this is a guy that wants to prove that last year wasn't a fluke. So that's what I like about the way they were able to get these guys and really position themselves to really go whichever direction they want to in the draft. Absolutely, yeah. And I think this gives them at least for me. I know we we're talking with Mike K earlier, but it really doesn't say to me. It doesn't really say anything to Ron as far as what they're going to do. I think this just gives them the options in round one to kind of take what what is best for them there. And let's just start it off here real quickly. Round one, where would you go right now uh, with the Eagles after these free agent moves? Well, looking at round one, it really would depend on who's on the board. As you see in my mock, I really like Ezekiel Elliott. And some people are going to say that, hey, you, know, you don't take a running back that early. But for me, I take an impact player. I want a guy that could impact my team as soon as he sets foot in the building, and that's what Ezekiel Elliott does. He's a very complete back. He's efficient on third downs. He's not afraid to take on linebackers, defensive ends, and blitz pickup. He's a very good catcher out of the backfield. And then on top of that, he has excellent breakaway skills. They're going to use some zone uh, run scheme uh, techniques, and, and that's something that, that Ezekiel Elliott is a, is a good fit for. He has the one-cut-and-get-up-field ability that you want, so he would be my first pick. Now, obviously, Ronnie Stanley's on the board. That's something that you really want to consider. Hargraves also, but I, I think as far as instant impact, I would go for Ezekiel Elliott. You got coaches getting fired after two years, so I think Peterson's going to need to get somebody that could come in and help him right away. Yeah, I know Ben likes that pick, right, Ben? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's it really comes down to, to just getting playmakers, and you know, Emery Hunt, obviously, who comes from football game plan as well, he says over and over again, and it's the smartest thing anyone will ever say, is you need to prioritize football players who can take the ball away and can score touchdowns. Yep. Uh, and if you're and if you're thinking about taking an offense or prioritizing, you know, an offensive lineman who's not even the best offensive lineman in the draft over who is by far the best skill position player in the draft, it, it's just it doesn't make sense. It's just a complete waste of resources, and you're not you're not adding impact players to an offense that needs impact players. So I love the Zeke Elliott pick. I think that that'll just be an absolute home run for the team if they can do that. Yeah, and, I, and not to just, you know, give us uh, ourselves a little circle jerk and agree with everybody, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm the same way here. You know, I think Zeke is more the impact player. However, I will say that VH3, if Vernon Hargraves is there and that is their selection, I'm not going to be too upset with that. I think he, he can also be a playmaker on the defensive side. I don't know how that relates to scoring points. So like both of these guys have just said, I'm still that's why I'm still very much on the on the Zeke train. If there's a tie there, I think the tie is gonna go to the runner here. And you need that impact. They need offensive impact somehow, some way. Uh, Ezekiel gives that to you right away. Obviously, Teron, the the second round pick is the most talked about thing since even last year when Sam Bradford kind of came over here. Um First of all, I want to say, I just want to get your thoughts on how much that you think that's going to affect them here if they're really going to miss out somewhere 
And would you expect them to move them up uh, in the third round? It, maybe they get rid of both third round picks and something extra. Would you expect the Eagles to jump into the second round this year? I think it's really going to depend on who's in the, on the board. You know, if you got a guy like Josh Dobson or Will Fuller sitting up there, I could definitely see them trying to put something together to move up into the second round. But I think this again is just another thing you got to kind of, uh, and not to not to you know be overly optimistic, but I think you have to really tip your cap to Howie Roseman for positioning himself to not have to do that. You have guys in Ruben Randall and Chris Gibbons that could play at low cost, so. They don't have to move up. I think the one thing that, that could also force them to move up is a guy like Raven Clark out of Texas Tech. He's a really good uh, left tackle, and I think he's someone that, that could be groomed into the position and eventually replace Jason Peters. So let's stick with the third round. Uh, they have basically almost back-to-back picks here. Who are you taking in the third round here, Teron? Uh, in the third round, I have them getting Leontay Carew with their first pick. I think he would be a, a good option. and. Um, you know, Carew is a guy that they're definitely interested in. I talked to him at his pro day and also at the combine, and they, they had a uh, a formal meeting with him, and then he said that they really like him. Uh, he sees himself fitting into that offense. He has a workout on March 30th, and uh, the Eagles will be there. He has a workout with them, a private workout. So that's uh, going to be something to, to take note of. So he, he will be the guy in the third round, their, their first pick. Then I also I, I have a guy that a lot of people aren't talking about, but this is a prospect that is outstanding. If you watch him, you, especially up close and personal, you really like this guy. That's Javon Hargrave out of South Carolina State. Now, we're talking about a guy out of, you know, uh, FCS school, so he, he didn't get a whole lot of exposure until he got to the Shrine game. And let me tell you something, he dominated the competition there. He was unblockable. His get-off-the-ball is, is lightning quick. The guy is very light on his feet to be six feet, 300-plus pounds. He's a, a disruptor. That's really what he is. He went into the senior bowl and immediately was beating the, the guys there as well. And he's one of those players that, you know, in, in the run game, you'll see a pile just being created in the middle of, of the, the line, and everybody would get up, and Javon Hargrave would be at the bottom of it. So that's what you want. You know, you want a guy that's disruptive and, and get that interior pressure early, and that's what you get in heartbreak. You know, we've talked about that a lot. Ben and I have talked about the the fact that how stacked this interior defense is, really, and how much that, even in the rotation, they'll still be a very big part of Jim Schwartz's defense. There's going to be a lot of different looks up front there. I I know everybody has kind of the wide nine set in there, but you're going to see those 30 looks. You're going to see a lot of different things from here, so... You know, Ben, what do you think back to back? I know you're, I know you're on board with uh, Laurente Carew. What's your thoughts on uh, Javon Hargrave in the third round there? Yeah, I actually had the pleasure of watching Hargraves last week um, by suggestion of Charles McDonald, who's just like my go-to person for defensive line uh, things. He's like, you know, you need to watch this guy. And and uh, Tehran is right; he has outstanding quickness, and on top of that, he has good size and really great lower body strength. And just it has this set of capabilities that allows him to really play any position along the defensive line and contribute as a run stopper, but is just such a disruptive pass rusher. And is a very good athlete as well. So if you're drafting him, you can use him at one tech. You can use him as that second three tech next to Cox and those wide nine looks. And you can use him in the 30 looks too. He, he can play really any position along the interior. I think that would be, if the Eagles are able to get him in the third round, I think that would be an outstanding addition. Yeah, and just like we have said before, Laurente Carew has, I think, all the makings of, of of being a second round guy. I think there's some character issues that would 
tend to knock him down there. And obviously, he's not the biggest competitor that's out there, but definitely a guy that you could build into this wide receiving core. Very exciting to look at. Let's head to the fourth round here, Teron. Uh, who do you have the Eagles selecting in the fourth? Yeah, in the fourth round, I have them addressing the interior offensive line in this case, and they, they, they would grab Spencer Drango, the uh, tackle who's going to bump inside to play guard. I think he would be a good left guard. He's someone you could put right there uh, next to Jason Peters and obviously next to one of the best centers in, in the NFL and Jason Kelsey. Uh, I think that he's, he's big. He has the strength to handle the, the guys that, that are going to bull rush him and, and handle that interior pressure. So I, I think that he's a, a good option. And the one thing that he'll have to adjust to is just how quicker things happen on the inside. You know, the defensive linemen get up on you a lot quicker, so he'll have to adjust to that. But I think with a little bit of training and you have guys like, you know, we mentioned Peters and Kelsey there to help him out, I think he'll be in good shape. And, you know, he'll learn from a guy who is one of the best young guards in football in Brandon Brooks. And that's a guy that when I first – Signed on with Eagles Wire and started covering the Eagles. He was one of the guys I said they had to get, you know, after Kaleche Osemele, you know. So I, I think that Drango will come into a really good situation and he can help out that line for sure. Uh, so they go offensive line in the fourth round here, Ben. I think that's, uh, you know, and to, to be honest, I haven't watched a lot of Spencer's tape at all. So uh, any thoughts on uh, going offensive line in the fourth round here, Ben? Yeah, I think that's where the Eagles really should be looking at the offensive line is like late day two, early day three, that area, because I think that's where the meat of this offensive line class is, where there's a lot of, like, nice day two, day three depth, whereas, like, the top isn't as, you know, nice. And, yeah, Drango has great size, um, tough. I I don't think he's a great athlete, but I think that between technique and, and motor and things like that, I, he could he could uh, end up being a pretty good guard, so I like that addition. Yeah, and I could see uh, I could see that I could see a guy like Connor McGovern uh, maybe around earlier if you're going to switch that out. I think they're looking for those type of you know Doug Peterson said all those those grinders those guys that can you know <laughs> shred it up and be very nasty guys. Um, I and and again it's just kind of just like what we're all reiterating here is they have a lot of optionality to kind of see how the board drops down. It might be a paint by the numbers type of draft which we've said before too but uh again this is where uh you have a lot of different options in, in uh, all the different days and rounds here uh you're i mean Teron, you're 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 writing us uh, right into our hearts here because like i i look at the later round guys that you're doing here and obviously i could see this guy going uh, around ahead and maybe in the fourth round here if it gets a little tight and if they want a quarterback but i see fifth round jacoby Brissett. North Carolina State, somebody that we've all been kind of championing here since last October and even before then when he lit up, you know, Boston College and then you see him against Florida State make some real exciting plays. This is a guy that I think potentially is a, is a humongous steal late in the draft here. What do you like about Jacoby Brissett? Yeah, we talked about Drango falling into a good situation. I think Jacoby Brissett will fall into a ideal, a perfect situation here where you're working with Coach Flips. Uh, Frank Wright, you you look at uh, uh, Doug Peterson, these are all guys who played quarterback at a high level. And then you're also learning from a cerebral guy like a, a, a Sam Bradford and a guy that's just experienced in the scheme like a Chase Daniels. It's a perfect situation for a percent. And if you look at him as a prospect, he has all the tools that you want. He has a big arm. He has the mobility. He's able to make things happen when the play breaks down. He can throw the ball downfield. He throws that seam route really well. 
and he has an arm strength to throw hash the sideline throws that, that you want. So I think he's definitely a, pro, a prospect that they could use. Now, the one thing with him, because of a weak offensive line at NC State, he developed a lot of uh, bad habits that, you know, have come from him having to operate under an awful lot of pressure. So I think with a, a situation like the Eagles, where you have an abundance of coaches to work with him, I think that this is a guy that you could see a couple of years down the line, you know, start to really show in, in preseason and, and really compete for a spot. Now, is he a starting quarterback right now? No, but I think he's the guy that down the line could definitely develop into one. Just have to tweak a few things with his mechanics, and I think he'll be in good shape. He has excellent size. Like I said, you know, he all the tools, and then, as you mentioned, he's gone against competition and really proved himself. So Jacoby Brissett will be an excellent pick for the Eagles. Yeah, and Teron, I've seen a lot of different comps around, and I know, like, I even had a discussion about, you know, it just seems like if you like a quarterback, your automatic comp is Andrew Luck. If he's okay, it ends up being Alex Smith. If he's bad, it's somebody like Brian Hoyer. And I know that it's so, – so that's basically, like, the three things you see all the time. But uh, when I look at Jacoby Brissett, and maybe this is a little – uh, overzealous on my part. I, I, I honestly see he's the first actual guy that reminds me of Ben Roethlisberger. Probably not really the way he throws, but the way he extends plays, the way he uses his body, the way he has, like, he's very carefree about what is around him, very composed type of guy. But what would be your comp for Jacoby Brissett? Yeah, Brissett would be a tough guy to comp. I know Cardell Jones is really a guy that, that I put in the Ben Roethlisberger, ben Roethlisberger um that is, I, you know, just just looking at his his mix as far as his ability to throw the ball downfield, and and he's not the most athletic guy, but he still does a good job of making things happen when plays break. I I would have to say uh, a, a guy that pops into my head is Philip Rivers. You know, he yeah. he's somebody that pops into my mind, uh, minus the uh, you know the, the antics as far as uh, antagonizing <laughs> fans and, and the opposing team. Yeah, he, I, I he, like that about him. He makes Rivers, uh, but, yeah. he makes he makes brownies for his offensive line every game, right? I think I read <laughs> something or heard something about that. He, yeah. He's like a sweetheart of a guy. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that that's a, that's interesting. I can all I can see that as well, and I know Ben's a big fan of him. Ben uh, Jacoby Brissett in the fifth round. I would be so happy about that. I've been I've been really. Um, on the Jacoby Brissett train since even the summer. And he just has every trait that I really love in quarterbacks where he has great size. He's tough as hell. He's willing to stand in the pocket and he's aggressive going down the field. Um, and he's, he's kind of always looking to make that big play, which, yeah, I can get him into trouble, but I'd rather a quarterback have that mentality, have that, you know, always looking for a touchdown. And then you can temper that rather than, you know, taking a more conservative type of quarterback and trying to coach into him the ability to be aggressive. Now, personally, I'm going to throw my comp, my, uh, in, my comp into the hat. I think he's a lot like Blake Bortles, just the way that he's able to kind of work in traffic and, and kind of shrug off hits and extend plays outside the pocket and really just make plays down the field. I mean, Bortles has always been a really, really great uh, deep passer and yeah he turns the ball over quite a bit but you're also going to get you know plays that you don't really see from a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL and I think that's the dynamic that Brissett can offer and if you can take him in the late rounds and get him with a, a staff that has so many quarterback minds on it I think they could really develop and develop him into a, into a nice starter yeah and just moving on from this to I'm, I'm noticing on your board again too is uh, I, I had told Ben I'm obsessed with the small school safeties, it seems like every year I always have one. And once you know it, like you and I are right on the page uh, with your second, fifth round pick 
uh, and tell me who that might be. Yeah, I really like uh, DeAndre uh, Houston Carson. He's a guy that brings versatility. And I, I think at this point, you need to have a guy behind your McLeod and in your Malcolm Jenkins that could do other things than just play safety. And he has played corner. He was all conference as a corner. The ball skills are there. He has no problem coming up and, and making tackles. So he's a guy that has a mentality that you could put on special teams. And I think that he would be an excellent pick. Most importantly, when you look at these guys at, at the FCS level, you want a guy that just absolutely dominates. And that's what you get from Houston Carson. So I think he would be an excellent pick for it, for them. And he would give depth as long as, as well as, uh, you know, compete. It'll provide competition for the two starting safeties. Yeah, no, no doubt. I think that's one of those guys. He is to me. He's still in that range of uh, of a Sean Davis type, which I know we're also big fans of, and similar around that range from in, in Maryland and everything. But uh, yeah, Ben, have you been able to uh, to to watch our good friend uh, DeAndre Houston Carson yet? I, I have not yet. Okay. okay, well, yeah, that's your that's your next project because I I really do think. And again, William and Mary, like I was huge Trey McBride fan. <laughs> last year i don't understand what william mary is doing here but uh yeah i really enjoy it so moving on just to just to round out the the last the round six and seven they have one pick in the sixth they have two in the seventh uh your for your selection of the sixth round here Toronto. yeah i think willie beavers is a guy that they could get uh, he's actually along the lines of a jason peters as far as his athleticism i think that he's someone that that they could you get a guy lower like this now it, it's it's feasible to have him sit you know, and not be an immediate impact player. But as you know, Peters in the next two years is going to have an $11 million cap number, and they could save a lot of money by releasing him. So he could take the opportunity this year to kind of learn from Jason Peters and, and Lane Johnson and the coaching staff and eventually slide into that left tackle spot. Yeah, I've, only, I've actually only seen one game, and I think it was against Ohio State. Um, and, I, you know, a little... Just from that alone, I know there was kind of a like an up and down game for him, but uh, again, somebody late that you can kind of develop, just like what you were saying. Uh, ben, any thoughts on uh, Willie Beavers? Yeah, I think that once you get into the late rounds, I, I, I need. I think teams really need to just kind of take bets on athletes, uh, and because it it just like the best use of resources, get the best athletes available and see if you can coach them up. It's a low risk, high reward type of situation. And, and I think Beavers really provides that type of dynamic there with that pick. And I, I think that's really good because it's, a you know, the Eagles need to get younger on the offensive line. They need to get more athletic on the offensive line. So adding that type of depth would be really smart. Teron, who do you have back to back here in the seventh round, my friend? Okay, seventh round, we're looking at Demarcus Robinson, a receiver out of Florida. I think he's a guy that has lots of talent. He didn't test well at his pro day, and he had some issues at uh, you know when he was at Florida. But he was a very highly recruited athlete going to Florida. So I think he's a guy that has some talent, and they could see what they could get out of him. A seventh round pick, I think that's feasible. Now, when we look at B.J. Goodson out of Clemson, this is a guy. He was he he started. He was a full time starter. As a senior, he started off and on his junior year, but this is an absolute playmaker at middle linebacker. And I think you need to look at this position because Jordan Hicks, let's face it, he's good, but we have that injury that could that could come about again. And then in addition to that, he's playing in a different role where he's going to have to take on blockers and he won't be able to just come in and, and clean up. So I think a guy like like B.J. Goodson is someone that, that could definitely do that. He's experienced doing that. 
at Clemson. So I, that would be a really good pick, give them depth and a guy that to be there for them in the case of injury at middle linebacker. Ben, let's start out with uh, Demarcus Robinson because I know you were – the, honestly, these are two guys I've, I haven't watched but only have heard their name. Uh, again, like Teron was saying, seems like seems like it could be, you know, one of those guys you take a flyer on and could develop into a pretty good starter here. Yeah, I really like Demarcus Robinson coming into this year. Back in August, I, I said something to the effect of, you know, he could end up being a fringe first round pick, um, and unfortunately, he kind of fell off the cliff because there was some off the field stuff. He didn't really mesh well with the new staff, and you know, quarterback troubles at Florida, and it just. It, it didn't. Nothing really went well for him this his last year at Florida, and he's kind of flown under the radar because of it. But we're talking about a guy who has great hands, is an incredibly aggressive blocker, and you know once he gets the ball in his hands, is really really good after the catch. So if you can kind of get him right and get him in a more comfortable situation, unlike what he was going through, whatever he was going through last year, uh, that is a really really high upside pick. And as for B.J. Goodson, I've only seen a little bit of him, but I you know I agree. I think that. The linebacker depth here needs some needs some work, especially when you're shifting over to a, a 43 defense. So adding another adding playmakers and guys who can really compete for playing time. If you can get guys who can compete for playing time in the seventh round, you've made a good draft pick. Yeah, uh, yeah and right. I, I think that's I think that's really good. Yeah, and uh, you know, so again, pencil those guys down. More homework for everybody else. And Teron, before you left, we just wanted there was a lot of people that wanted uh, your opinion on a lot of different things. I'm going to start with our good friend Chase Cullop, who has two questions back-to-back. Thoughts on Sterling Shepard or Devontae Booker to the Eagles if you had to choose one or the other? Oh, you know, you say Sterling Shepard. I do nothing but smile. You can hear it in my voice. <laughs> yeah. That's one of my guys. I really like him, man. I got to talk to my senior bowl. He's a complete receiver, a guy that can win on inside or the outside, can run any route. He's very mature as far as – uh, a route runner, he understands the nuances, how to use head fakes and different things to get open. Not the biggest guy, but he, he's a, a Steve Smith type of guy that, that plays bigger than he is. He actually says Steve Smith is his favorite guy. So I think that would be an excellent pick for the Eagles. It would give them a, a guy that they can run jet sweeps with and just have a nice package of plays to take advantage of his playmaking ability. Uh, his follow-up to that is, what is the better, uh, I guess, need to fill late in the rounds for the Eagles? Is it offensive line, defensive end, running backs, cornerback, or wide receiver? I think they really need to fill offensive line, and Doug Peterson actually said that they're going to turn to the draft to fill offensive line and defensive back. But me personally, I think there's an abundance of, of guys that they could get. A guy to keep keep your eye on out of Illinois, he really impressed me at the Shrine game, Ted Karras. And if you watched his tape two years ago against Washington, he held his own against Danny Shelton, who was a, a, a high pick last year. So Ted Karras is a guy to watch out for. I think they have to take care of the interior offensive line. This coming from uh, Tyler Hampton. I'm a huge Cardell Jones fan. I think he's all the tools, just needs coaching. Uh, what do you say? I think you've kind of basically, basically answered that already. You kind of gave him the... The, the Roethlisberger comp there, but what is, I know Ben's a big fan too, um, but where do you see his potential? Yeah, the thing I really like about Cardell Jones is, is he has nuts. You know, he's a guy that could stare down at the pass rush and still throw the ball 60 yards downfield precisely. And I think that's something that you really want out of a quarterback, a guy who's not going to get shook in the pocket and in the face of pressure. He has the athleticism, and we could work a little bit on the timing on some of the, the – 
intermediate, the mid-range crossing routes and things like that. But he's much more cerebral than, than people uh, uh, lead on to. Um, you put him on the whiteboard, he had a really good session with Gruden. And I think that he's a guy that could be a, a really high upside quarterback. Third round, I think, would be the ideal spot. He could go as, as early as the second. But Cardell Jones would be an excellent pick. And I think he would be ready to play quickly. I think this is a, another question that you know we were talking about earlier in the show, and uh, it, it, it seems to be on a lot of Eagles' minds. And I kind of thought it was interesting that uh, it's coming from Tyler too. Now that they've signed Givens and Randall, and there's Kelvin and Carroll, does that mean that they're not going to pick wide receivers or corners that high? You know, like they're kind of basically eliminated. I think some of the Treadwell talk that some some thought was uh, a possible at eight, and then you know uh, Hargraves at eight was was in definitely in the mix. I think is still in the mix. I don't see that at all as stopping them from getting whatever. I think that's basically just like you've been talking about, like we've been talking about, it just opens up the options there because if you miss, if you need one of those guys, it would be worse if you didn't have somebody back there. But do you think that eliminates some of the positions that they've done so far? Well, I think the one thing we have to remember is three of these deals are one-year deals. And these are guys that are brought in more or less on prove it type of deals. If Alberta Hargraves is there, you have to consider this is one of the best prospects at corner to come out in the last two years. He's a playmaker. He returned two of his four interceptions for touchdown. You have to consider <laughs> a guy like that. Uh, Treadwell, I, I still think Treadwell is a really good receiver, but I'm not sure if I consider him at, at eight with other guys on the board, but I don't think that these signings are significant enough to where they would just completely overlook prospects at the same position yeah and, and not even late so uh you're right and Teron, as always we appreciate the time man we know you're you're busy you're doing the uh like the college trials with your daughter and we appreciate it my friend thanks for joining us right here on bgn radio no problem. Thanks for having me anytime. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk shop with you guys. Well, again, uh, another big thank you to Teron Davenport spending uh, all that time with us, and we, we really appreciate it. And we want to get into, you know, we all pretty much agreed for the first round. I think we're going to always be on that Zeke train just just by a nose. <laughs> it's just we're going to be there. But uh, Ben has some interesting, diff- a little variation, uh, which I think uh, is worth discussing here, too. So, uh, obviously, Ben, you're sticking with Zeke at round one, but what are you doing differently in, than Tehran in rounds in the with both round three picks here? In round three, I want to go in the direction of Artie Burns out of Miami, and it's a name yeah. that's a little bit under the under the radar. Uh, he's six one, long armed corner cornerback, outstanding ball skills, can press at the line, can play zone, really versatile, has everything you really want from a corner, and he just flashes. The important things are just taking the ball away. And he's not a great athlete, but he does a good job of mitigating the athletic disadvantage uh, by his work at the line and his very good footwork. So if the Eagles were able to get a guy like that in the third round, he could compete for the third back spot. He could play on the outside and maybe let Carroll you know, play in the slot or something like that. Just uh, the Eagles need to get guys who are long and physical, and I think Artie Burns really fits into that profile. The cornerback depth is still iffy with, you know, Carroll coming back from injury uh, and obviously Rowe playing that number one spot. But after, I mean, after Rowe, it's kind of a mystery because you have guys coming back from injury and, and, and guys who are unproven. So add Burns to that competition, which has really helped the group overall. The second third round pick is. Cardell Jones, I, wow. yeah, I'm the, too. I mean, I'm, I'm probably one of his biggest capers during this draft process. 
because it's so hard to ignore what he can do, but so many people love talking about what he can't do, which is very frustrating for any talking about any prospect. Uh, but Jones is a guy who great size, great athleticism for his size, huge arm, and he just he just has this outstanding poise to his game. And I think that when you're talking about quarterbacks, you need to really prioritize poise. You need to prioritize guts. And it's you know you hear guts and grit and everything like that talked about all the time, but it, it's important because it really helps with their with their growth rate. Because if you have a guy like you know, looking back in history, Blaine Gabbert, who sees ghosts in the pocket, you know, from day one, it's going to be hard for them to grow because they can't they can't grow with bullets flying. They need to grow on the bench, which is so much harder for a player to do when you have a guy who has poise and can really get up after shots and, and come back, bounce back from mistakes. You have a guy who can develop on the field, develop in game. And I think Jones has that capability. Of course, there's things that need to be fixed with him. Uh, as there is with any quarterback prospect, but we're talking about a guy who can start a lot sooner than people get credit for because he has just this great poise, great arm strength, great size. And just in terms of his intangibles, his like his teammates loved him. I think that really cannot be understated how much the team and the coaches loved him. And he handled all the adversity that he dealt with at Ohio state so well, where there was this kind of quarterback flux uh, and, a lot of people, a lot of quarterbacks, a lot of players would deal that would deal with that pretty poorly. And he was on the sideline when JT Barrett was starting. He was on the sideline coaching guys up, getting guys all hyped up, you know, helping the coach out, everything like that. And it just like he has really everything you want from an intangible and tangible perspective from a quarterback. So if you can get him in the third round and put him with a staff that has Doug Peterson and Frank Reich and, and flip on it where all these guys have such great experience playing and developing quarterbacks, it just, it, it lends itself, you know, a couple years down the line or maybe even sooner you could have a, a really uh, high ceiling starter on this football team. And it's just something to really get excited about. Uh, and yeah, I mean, like uh, I know you were talking about that with Tehran as well, and he's got some, some similar things. He even said, you know, second round, which I was kind of surprised by, but you know, he really does. Again, you don't want to fall into the recency bias that I think a lot of these prospects tend to show a lot of people, at least when, when they're watching, you know, they, they see him getting benched and like, ugh, but that's not, Again, it's really it's the same with Hargraves in the bowl game. Like you can't just sit there and be like, "Well, he did this this one time." It's the same thing with I've heard they got into debates, of course, with an Alabama fan uh, about Treadwell and how you know he's just not going to be that much. He's not that spectacular. I've seen him in ten games, and I'm you know there's always those things that are out there. But really, you have to just remind yourself to look at the tools. And even though I've been guilty of it many times, and Ben always yells me about the logo scouting because I do that with Alabama all the time with their defensive backs and running backs, and that's probably still one of the reasons why I'm not a big Henry fan. Uh, Cardell Jones does fit that mold. You know, there's there's a lot of things to like there. Unlike, and this is the this is what I think is, is the difference here, is because I see the same people, not the same people, I see different people caping guys like Christian Hackenberg, who you look at him, you're just like, no, dude, no. Because the, even there are... You can point to the mistakes and throws in their body and everything else, but it, I mean, there, there's a, it's a completely different set of skills and and tools there. I mean, there are there are guys that it's just so much it's so much different, and I don't understand everybody's like obsession with Christian Hackenberg and third rounds and mock drafts. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't get it. 
I'll tell you what it is, and I, I wrote about this when I did my Christian Hackenberg scouting report, is that people suffer from serious honeymoon syndrome with Hackenberg, where they are still thinking about his freshman year with Bill O'Brien, and every time something bad happens on tape with Hackenberg, which over the past two years is a lot, they want to say, oh yeah, but let's remember the good times with Hackenberg. And it's, I'm just going to say it's interesting that they choose to go that route with Hackenberg, but with Jones, that's not even in, in the question. Like, like they don't even want to talk about, you know, a year ago where he went, he led his team off the bench on a four game tear and they won the national championship and he looked like a first round pick type of player. Um, nobody wants to talk about that, but let's talk about Christian Hackenberg when he was 18 years old, a little ridiculous. Um, and with Jones, also, Jones wasn't having issues with his coaching staff, and there was lots of reports about Hackenberg being salty and everything like that with James Franklin. And I, it, I get it, you know, he's a big arm, good pedigree or whatever. But I, I would, I would much rather have Jones, you know, day two than than touching Hackenberg until you know late, late day three. Uh, and I think that Jones is just a completely different player from on, on and off the field. And I'd much, much rather have him on this football team. Uh, we were talking about Connor McGovern with the Tehran. And I think that we're kind of, I think that's where we just kind of differ. Both you and I is, I would much rather have him in the, in the fourth over Spencer there, just because again, I think there's, when they're looking for road graders, that's your guy. And if you're going to get a guard there, I think there's, I think there's much more potential for him and, you know, I, de- I, I defer to Toronto on a lot of different things here because I, I think he's uh, he's one of the best in the business here. But, yeah, uh, somebody also on, on Connor McGovern in the fourth real quick. Well, if you're into this type of thing, Connor McGovern is an absolute freak athlete. Just yeah. the way he tested uh, it, at the combine, I think he's above in the above the 90th percentile for NFL guards. And you really see that strength on the field. He's just incredibly strong. Great lower body strength, just a nasty football player. And Missouri has a has a history of just churning out these really nasty offensive linemen. And, and I think that the Eagles need to they need to buy into that. And if they can add more a- athletes to their offensive line, especially uh, athletes of McGovern's level, it I think he I mean he's going to be able to start a lot sooner than people think, and he might compete for the starting guard spot opposite of Brandon Brooks this season if the, the Eagles were able to get him in the fourth round. That would be outstanding. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about uh, his potential, uh, what he can bring there. And just like you said, the the I think this is another thing that we, that has gotten swallowed up um, in the past couple of weeks here is that the people are so focused on the first round that there are <laughs> there's a lot of different ways that this can go out. And I'll even say that with Zeke. You know, I'll be disappointed if they don't do it in the first. And but there is not like, oh, they have to do this because, like, I, I, enough with the Stanley talk. I think that's been now that's we've had like peak Stanley, and now it's just been. I, there's still a lot of people that think that's there. I've heard people even say to me, "Well, you, they don't have the luxury of taking the better athlete, and I want to freak out and smack somebody, or like they don't have that luxury of doing that because they need, well, they need that that stud offensive lineman. There are guys in this draft." that are later in the third to even the sixth round, who I know we're going to talk to soon. <laughs> and again, even with Zeke, I think that there's just, there's so many people that are stuck in the first round and that's what's going to change everything. And you always have to remember that there are, there are nine picks in this draft that the Eagles are going to have nine of them. And there are guys that can change it 
from a lot of different things. And you've even noticed that with discussions with Tehran and and guys in, you know, wide receivers from Florida in the seventh round. That's that's a possibility there. That there are a lot of different options. Obviously, you want the impact player, but if you're looking for impact players, please stop talking about Ronnie Stanley. He is not an impact player. That is a definite need there. When I when I hear people talk to me and say, well, they don't have the luxury of taking of taking basically the better player, the guy with more talent, because to, to fill a need. That's exactly what we're trying to avoid the Eagles doing. That is exactly why we're talking about it. You can't afford to take a lesser player. And I know that there's a lot of people that think Ronnie Stanley is that guy. He is not. He's not. He's not. He, because there's, there's other tackles even in the first round that I'd probably prefer over that. And I wouldn't take any of them at eight. I would not do that. There are potential. And there's a guy in the sixth round who me and Ben have a humongous heart on for who, again, could probably fill more than that need and maybe even the same need with the same athletic ability later in the round. That's what I'm saying. And I, I will accept the argument that, yes, you can find the running backs later too. So if you think that the better players VH3, go with VH3. You know that's that, but but you just can't you can't do it with with Ronnie Stanley. I I I'm gonna keep preaching this. You don't want that to happen because then it it, it kind of changes the dynamic of of everything else that you're gonna be selecting here, Ben. You know what it is is it's like going to the grocery store and seeing this really great steak and it's just a really good looking steak. And then you turn around and you buy Easy Mac because you're scared you can't cook the steak correctly. <laughs> and you end up eating Easy Mac alone in your dorm because you were scared you couldn't cook the steak. And you finish the Easy Mac and, and you say, shit, I should have gotten the steak. And I'm speaking from personal experience. So so Ronnie Stanley is the Easy Mac. Ezekiel Elliott or Vernon Hargraves, that's the steak. Go after the better players just because you're scared of some stupid risk that isn't really based in fact it's just based in bad narrative um about taking you know an ezekiel elliott you want to go with the the impact player you want to go with the guy who can come come onto the field immediately and help you win football games ronnie stanley is going to have to sit for a year if he gets picked Uh, it's just he he can't play guard uh, and jason peters is going to play tackle next year lane johnson is playing tackle next year so you just have a who you just took top 10 in the draft sitting on the bench. That is the worst use of resources I can possibly think of for a team that so desperately needs a spark on offense. Yeah, and with that said, let's uh, let's move on to the fifth round here with the spark of offense that I actually, I don't know anything about, Ben, so I'm going to ask you a big, big question. Who the hell is Malcolm Mitchell, wide receiver Georgia? Malcolm Mitchell, he's an interesting case because I feel like he's been at Georgia my entire lifetime. And he's dealt with injuries. He's dealt with bad quarterback play. But he's always really stood out. He's a good route runner for his size. He has really good size, a very good athlete, strong hands. And he can kind of do what Jordan Matthews does for the team and kind of offer that bigger wide receiver who can play inside, play outside, and who can run really good routes for a person his size. And it just gives the Eagles more big bodies in their wide receiver core. I think he's being really underrated because he just hasn't been able to produce because one, George is very run heavy Two, He had a couple years where he was de- dealing with injuries and three. I mean, you should have seen the people throwing it, throwing him the football the past <laughs> few years. They've been yeah. horrible. Yeah. So uh, he's going to end up being a steal for whatever team drafts him. I think he's going to end up being a very, very good NFL player. And then you're moving to the defensive side of the ball uh, with the other fifth round pick. Who do you have there? I have Malik 
Collins. He's the defensive tackle out of Nebraska. He kind of gets buried in this class because there's so much defensive tackle depth. But Collins is a guy who who offers that quick that quick twitch pass rusher type of uh, defensive tackle who the Eagles could really use at the, at the three technique spot because I mean we've said it a hundred times with the wide nine you're going to end up getting two three techniques and, and while I think Benny Logan could play that other spot he's best suited just being that two down one one technique guy I, I think um, Malik Collins could come in be a rotational guy for the Eagles very very good pass rusher it'd be a, be a nice pickup to get in the fifth round yeah, and speaking of that it's kind of interesting that and always one of the things I was surprised at that they didn't go with and maybe they're not done yet here I still expect them to get get a defensive end or defensive tackle depth somewhere in free agency uh, no clue as a, as to who yet but again like this is one of the things that we, me and Ben have been preaching forever is there really is a lot of different defensive tackles and interior linemen that you absolutely need to take a stab at uh, I know very little about Malik Collins other than that I, I do think he fits the mold of everybody else that we've kind of talked about in here. Very aggressive, uh, quite athletic, if I remember correctly, too, Ben. Yeah, I mean, he, he tested out pretty well, uh, at least at least by just the, the eye test here. Uh, and we'll have to check in and see on the pro day. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that they have to come away uh, with someone there as well. Round six, I think this is where we're both just – it's salivating and a lot of the time I don't even know why he really would be this low I would even see this guy going in the fifth but uh Gerald Hawkins from LSU's tackle is just a freaking monster you know he's six six got the arms of a giant uh why why six round why are people you think he's so low on a lot of mock draft boards here I honestly don't know because there there's everything there for him. He, he has great size. He's a great athlete. And he played at a prestigious program that had an outstanding run game. So you would think that that would add up to getting draft height, but it's just not there. And when I watch him, it reminds me a lot of a couple of years ago when Chantrell Henderson was at Miami where you had this huge freak athlete. And there was inconsistency to his game, but when he was playing on, when he, when, you know, when he was really on top of technique, awareness, everything like that, there wasn't a better offensive tackle in the game and and Hawkins has moments where he he is just dominant and if you can if you can harness that on a consistent basis you have yourself a hell of a football player and and like I said with Tehran you get into day three you need to take chances guys because if the ceiling is sky high which it is with Hawkins and you for a sixth round pick i mean forget about it you, you have to do it the eagles do need to add offensive linemen and, and adding hawkins would be amazing i'm just absolutely amazing to add to this group uh yeah no I, I completely agree and that's why even in the the seventh round here is the eagles again have uh two picks there let's start with the second seventh round pick because he has been linked to the eagles and it looks like there is going to be an official visit tcu wide receiver uh, colby lisbon uh, Lisby, excuse me, listen and be put together, which is uh, automatically like it's uh, points for having a cool last name. But yeah, I, again, just another burner here that I would be very excited about here in the seventh round, Ben. Yeah, Lisby is a he was an all all American track athlete, and it shows on the football field. And there's some obviously there's some polish that's lacking to his game. Not great hands, not great size, and everything like that. But he can get deep on any kind of defense and once you get the ball in his hands he's gone and the eagles need that and if and if you can get some of that juice out of him as a seventh round pick that would be amazing and if they could get i mean 
And at the very least, you end up having a very good returning type of player. Yeah, and who's your first uh, seventh-round pick? Tell me about Victor Ochi, uh, defensive end from Stony Brook. Ochi flies under the radar for two reasons. One, he's from Stony Brook. People don't really pay attention past, you know, at Division One FBS level unless it's Carson Wentz for some god-awful reason. <laughs> and Sorry. And... Uh, and he's also quite small. He's 6'2", about 250 pounds. But when I watch him, I, I cannot help think about Trent Cole, where he has this great burst off the line, is absolutely relentless getting after the passer, and, you know, great bend around the edge, good run run defender. And, you know, when I see, see flashes of Trent Cole, I, I get all nostalgic in my heart. And uh, I, I want him on this football team. The Eagles do need to add some depth to their pass rushers on the edge. I, outside of Vinnie Curry and Brandon Graham, there's not a lot of guys who inspire. I'm not a big Marcus Smith guy. Connor Barwin's decent, but also getting older. Ochi would be a great rotational guy. Yes, he's a bit smaller. I don't know how Schwartz is going to value smaller pass rushers, but he can get after the passer. And if, and if you can get a guy who's been as productive as Ochi has been at Stony Brook late in the draft, it would be a really, really good add to this team and someone who could compete for rotational snaps down the line. Again, get your pencils out, everybody, because even some of the guys here uh, I want to take a look at. And I think that's what me and Ben, especially, and the rest of the crew want to keep continuing to do here up until the draft. Obviously, if there's you know breaking news and something happens here, then we'll definitely be on top of that. But you know, th this is what we're going to do. So we have the seventh-round mock draft. I think we'll even focus on just the third-round guys. Uh, and try and get some other awesome football minds on here to kind of talk about this thing as we kind of move on here. Always wanting to take our questions. So at John Barchard, at BGN Natan, N-A-T-A-N, and of course at BGN underscore radio if you have any of those uh, questions there. Uh, before we get into just to some quick final thoughts, uh, Cleveland Browns end up signing RG3, which I think is uh, it's somewhat expected and interesting. Does this uh, affect? Now, let's just say I don't, you know, I still think they're going to take Carson Wentz here if the the questions come up a lot if the if the quarterback starts sliding do the Eagles pull the trigger if they if Carson Wentz falls in the Eagles lap do you pull the trigger there Ben no wow <laughs> no not at all never in a million years he's not a first round quarterback in my opinion he for whatever reason he's being overrated it's still kind of a mystery to me he's no 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 Please, God, no. <laughs> yeah, I think I think this, I, I feel that way about bo about both guys, about golf I, and him. Right. This is a this is a four player draft. You have Miles Jack, Laramie Tunsil, Ezekiel Elliott, and Jalen Ramsey. Those are the four blue chip elite players in this draft. I think, and the Eagles need to get one of them. Yeah. No, I I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> So there, there it is. Um, I think that's uh, actually. I think we'll just end it there because I don't have anything to add on to it. But just be uh, keeping it, uh, keeping it, uh, keeping your flavor fresh. I guess I should say, as uh, as Mrs. Lady Barchard would always say. Uh, right on bleedinggreennation.com. Thank you for listening to episode number one fifty five. A big thanks to our old friend Mike K. Uh, and of course, you can always find him at Mike underscore E underscore K and uh, Teron Davenport T Davenport. NFL on Twitter. We thank both of them. And we will catch you uh, hopefully very soon right here on BleedingGreenNation.com. You've been listening to BGN Radio right here on BleedingGreenNation.com. Fueled by Duncan Philly and part of the Liberty Broadcast Network.
folks, we have now reached our final destination of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We realize you have a choice in podcasting. We thank you for choosing ours.